You are listening to a Force Technology podcast where we take on pioneering technology that helps make the world safer and more sustainable. Many of us take our hearing for granted. If it fails, we could get hearing aids. But 85% of people with hearing loss have no solution. What is hearing loss really? How do you know if your hearing is failing? And why don't people seek help in time? My name is Toya Hunting, and I'm here with three people who know all about how hearing loss develops, how hearing aid technology has evolved over time, and which new technologies are being developed and brought to market to help people of different means regain their hearing. So I'm going to skip straight to uh, introducing the three of you. Jul Bailin, you're the CEO and founder of Global Audiology Consulting and have decades of leadership and transformation management experience from leading companies in the hearing healthcare industry. Welcome. Thank you. Lars Bramslöv, you are principal scientist at the Ericsholm Research Center, part of Oticon, and work on audiological discoveries that enhance end-user benefits in future hearing care. Welcome. Thank you. And Søren Vasa Ligard, you're my colleague here and director at SenseLab, where you and your team perform sound quality and sensory tests of high-tech products. Welcome. Thank you. Now, a brief uh, history of hearing loss and hearing aids. And Lars, uh, what is hearing loss, really? Well, hearing loss is um, loss of sensitivity in the inner ear, which is what we sometimes call the cochlea, or we also in Danish refer to as the snail. It's the very little organ that's about the size of your thumb, nail, and that picks up the sound and converts it to nerve impulses to the brain. And how do you know if you're losing your hearing? If you're losing your hearing, what you'll experience is that you have difficulties in noise in particular. That's the first sign. That means that if you're in a party or in a social situation, then you have trouble picking up voices in the background noise. That's, that's the first sign. And then, of course, gradually you will lose the higher frequencies, so the bright tones. It will be difficult to hear birds or perceive the high parts, the, the triple parts of music, for instance. So take us through the uh, milestones in hearing aid technology up until today. It started with a horn? It started with a horn, that's right. Uh, the first thing, and everyone will know that if you hold up your hand behind your ear, you can amplify the sound in front of you. And the horn does a similar thing. It collects the sound and converts it to the ear, so there's a slightly higher sound pressure at the ear because of the horn. And that's what you know from Matador and other old movies, that there is the horn to amplify the sound. That's the acoustic amplifier. And then it moved on from there to electric amplification. In fact, when Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone, he was actually inventing the hearing aid because he was preparing that for his mother. And it turned out that was also a telephone. So that's a microphone and a loudspeaker. That's the basic idea. And from there on, it went to more advanced technology through vacuum tubes uh, during World War II, and very importantly, the transistor in the 1950s which made the devices much smaller. And then from there, we've moved, moved on to digital technology in the 90s. And I would say the, the newest thing in, in hearing aids from then 
Technology-wise is the wireless connectivity of hearing aids so that you can stream sound and you can be connected to the internet with your device. So, Joel, with these uh, current products that uh, Lars mentions, can they help everyone with hearing loss? Um, depending on the degree of hearing loss. Um, hearing aids are made for people with hearing losses. If you have no hearing, if you're deaf, you cannot use a conventional hearing aid. You can use a cochlear implant, which is a device that you actually implant into the inner ear and electrode on the hearing nerve that you stimulate electronically and create artificial sound. You know, there's no sound as such. There's only stimulation, which works for people, some people who are totally deaf. People who have a hearing loss are most time uh, well uh, helped with a, some kind of hearing loss, a hearing aid. If they have money, right? Well... Depending on where uh, in the world you are, uh, it uh, requires money. Uh, in Denmark, we are uh, quite fortunate. We have a healthcare system that provides hearing aids for free. Uh, interestingly, it doesn't mean that everybody needing a hearing aid gets a hearing aid. We are talking in Denmark about a penetration at the high of 40%, meaning that four out of 10 who really need a hearing aid get a hearing aid for free or by money, because we also have a commercial market where you can go buy a hearing aid. It, it, it's, a personal, it's a personal choice, really, what you want. In some markets, commercial markets, they are extremely expensive. Um, uh, and, and we talk about penetration of maybe uh, 4 or 5 or 6% of people who really need it. And then third world, forget about it. Uh, it's difficult. They don't have the infrastructure. They don't have the money and they don't have the priority. So which new products are arising also to cater to those who don't have hearing aids today? And, and what are their strengths and, and weaknesses compared to the more traditional hearing aids? So over the last decade, at least, we have been talking about uh, creating an alternative to the conventional uh, hearing aids. We have been talking about so-called OTCs, over-the-counter devices. And back in Denmark, like 10 or 15 years ago, we had the first pioneers in this field coming up with concepts that were not really hearing aids, but were devices that you put in your ear to help you hear in difficult situations. This was uh, too early. Uh, time wasn't ready for that. Uh, they didn't really succeed, but it was the first in a long row. And uh, on October 17 last year, the U.S. got a new bill, uh, the OTC bill, which allows hearing aids to be sold and purchased without a prescription, without seeing a doctor, an audiologist. You can buy it in certain stores. And uh, these devices are meant to broaden penetration, make it easier to access hearing care, make it easier to pay for hearing care, make it easier for people who are somehow stigmatized by the idea of a hearing aid. It's easier to buy something that is similar but not is a hearing aid, which works the same way. And technologically, 
These are amazing products today. They're not going to take over the hearing aid market, but they are going to make a big difference in the entry-level market. People who only have a mild uh, hearing loss, they are probably a lot likely to go for the OTC devices. Are there other products or technologies uh, arising other than OTC? So OTC is not a technology, really. No, it's a business model. It's a business model, right. Uh, technologies, are, there are a lot of different technologies. We have the hearing aids, we have the, the earbuds, uh, we are talking about hearables, uh, which may or may not be OTC, it doesn't matter. It's just another form factor, it's another technology. It also amplifi uh, amplifies, and a lot of it these days, as a matter of fact, also do a lot of what the hearing aid have been doing for many years. We are also seeing advanced uh, spectacles doing hearing uh, help, uh, having uh, implemented some kind of audio solution with microphones in the framework and, uh, and uh, wireless or not wireless and doing a lot of advanced stuff because on the frame of the glasses you can have multiple microphones which does uh, interesting stuff uh, to the signal and, and, uh, and uh, that's a, it's another different technology which is also around. I think it's important to point out that the healthy ear is a fantastic machine. We have to remember that we can pick out uh, voices that are three times as soft as the noise around us. And that's something that we are trying to, what can I say, compensate for with the hearing devices, but it's really difficult. So when people think machines and AI are fantastic, they are actually not doing as well as the healthy ear. So once you, you have a hearing loss, we have to try to compensate for that through the devices, which is really the, the challenge. So there's a basic, what can I say, technological challenge in trying to improve speech and noise. And that's, that's, that's really a hard problem. And that's uh, partly what you do, isn't it, Søren, at, uh, at SenseLab? I mean, a lot of the uh, world's hearing technology passes through your lab. Yeah, at SenseLab, we are, we are testing uh, it different uh, types of products, uh, sound uh, producing products, but hearing aids as well. And uh, have been doing that for, for many years now. We have a, an experienced uh, listener panel and we are evaluating uh, the sound quality of hearing aids from a perceptual perspective. You can say how, how is the sound perceived uh, in terms of overall uh, quality or maybe some specific features or functionalities. And how have you seen uh, hearing products or, or wearables develop over the years? I would say that we have, uh, we have definitely seen uh, this uh, streaming uh, functionality coming up, as Lars also mentioned, this uh, being able to connect to devices, connecting to your phone, connecting to your TV streaming to, to improve the, the quality so you have this, uh, the sound uh, transmitted digitally, so you have a, a, a tuning part where you, you get some information to the hearing aid and you need to optimize the, the sound quality there. So, so that's definitely something that we have seen. Uh, but you could say the, uh, the speech, uh, speech and noise uh, problem, you can say how to make that uh, work uh, ideally. That is always a key uh, interest to the, to the industry and to, to the clients coming in. Um, so what we have seen is that these uh, technologies with noise uh, reduction and noise suppression uh, is really... Uh, giving a lot of choices and options for refining, optimizing the product. So you can have some very narrow zooming, you can have some 
you could say, zoom in on a sound, uh, but that produces some other types of uh, of missing uh, information about your surroundings. Um, so that it's clear that there are definitely a lot of power to compute and calculate and do advanced things in the hearing aids, but there's this constant balance of making also things work uh, naturally in these different types of environments, and that's what we are uh, testing. And how do you how do you do that? So uh, we are testing uh, mostly in uh, in the listening room in our lab, and we have uh, uh, capabilities uh, like the industry as well to produce some uh, high uh, realism uh, types of scenes. So we can produce sound fields that are very realistic. They are captured out in the real world, and we can reproduce those in our lab so that uh, that the technology is exposed to what it will be exposed to in the real world. And then we are testing with uh, with human beings. We have test subjects, and that is our, you can say, our core uh, tool for measuring. We are uh, evaluating uh, the products on, on perceptual uh, uh, methods, so how uh, the, the sound is perceived uh, and and using, uh, you can say, scales and rating scales and so on. So it's uh, we are into the uh, the end experience uh, in terms of sound. So uh, mostly from an overall perspective. So if the technology is mature and there are business models for every wallet, are we done? I mean, is it is it a perfect world, or why are people still getting help too late for their hearing loss? Well, we are definitely not done. Like I said before, the speech and noise problem is a consistent challenge. And people will often find that when they have the hearing devices, their first experience is they are disappointed because they think now they're back to normal. But in reality, they are not. They they can do better. They can hear soft sounds that they didn't hear before, but they cannot still uh, sort out voices in, in noise, for instance. That that's still a, That's still a challenge. And that's the hard problem that that we're still working on. Like Søren mentioned, with beamforming, we're using artificial intelligence uh, in different forms to try to pick out voices from the noise. That's that's really the uh, the important part. And then, of course, we want to make sure that the devices work all day long without having to interact with them. I think most users just want to wear their devices and and forget about them. The hearing aid industry has come a long way. I mean, we are creating amazing technology, and it 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 has the potential to help so many many people. The thing is that having a hearing loss is not only a personal handicap; it's also a personal handicap, but it's so stigmatized, and everybody knows that people using glasses are just using glasses but people using hearing aids are probably a little silly. And this is an old notion going generations back. And the thing is that people in need of hearing, law, hearing aids, not using hearing aids, are those who are silly. Um, first of all, there's a tight correlation between hearing loss, untreated hearing loss, and dementia and other health issues. So there are many, many reasons why you would get a hearing aid if you have a hearing loss. But it's stigmatized worldwide, even in our part of the world, some part of the world even more. So this industry hasn't been able to really address 
users before they are having a big, big uh, issue with their hearing. These people being around 70 years old, even though we know that after 60 or 65, 25%, 30% of the population should have a hearing aid. Not addressing, not being able to address these people because they think if I get one, people will think I'm old. So we have a lot to do in terms of talking about this and, and, and bringing to the market concepts that are more cool, that are gadget-like, that are something different from a conventional hearing aid, which may always be stigmatized. The OTCs that we talked about, the hearables that are all the kind of devices that you put in your ears and listen to music and have online sound communication with technology are the kind of technology in my mind that's going to make the difference also for the hearing aid industry. So beside um, emulating the, the human ear, battery life and prejudice, what other frontiers are there in, in hearing? Well, first of all, I, I think we forgot to mention size because size is important. Uh, that's the, that's referring to the stigma again that uh, the, the, the devices have to be invisible. That's what people want. And that's always been pushing the technology as well. So we have to make them small. And remember then that you have, actually you have many Apollo rockets in the hearing device now powered by a small, small battery. So of course we have this power restriction, power budget that we have to, to adhere to. But the other challenges and, and one of the new frontiers I would say that we work on at the research center is trying to find out what the user wants in the situation. So most, we talk about uh, beam forming, which is that the hearing aid can zoom in on uh, voices that are in front of you, uh, straight in the direction of your nose, as I usually say but they don't understand or they, they cannot sense if you are uh, listening to the conversation partner to the right on your table or where is, where is your attention right now. So we are trying to find out in, with different technologies if we can decode what is the attention of, of the user at the moment. Am I attending across the table or to the side or whatever? And this can be done through, say, looking at um, eye gaze, where, where, where are my eyes pointed, or through um, EEG brainwaves, trying to decode where, what is the attention, what am I attending to now, and use that to guide the signal processing in the device. So that's, that's uh, I would say, one of the new important frontiers. It's, it's a long stretch, but we're working on it. I would want to comment on your first point, the size thing, which has always been an issue, something we have been struggling to make things smaller and smaller, and, and it is today amazingly small. The thing is that while the hearing aid industry has been able to minimize these devices so that they basically uh, disappear in the ear, we have this parallel market of, of hearables coming uh, um, where things are like mushrooms coming out of your ears or people even wearing headsets that are uh, full-blown headsets <laughs> over your ears. And, and the markets of these hearables are, as we speak, reaching 600 million people wearing these devices, being white or black and gray out of your ears, big, because it doesn't matter. But for the hearing aid category, which, as we speak, probably amounts 16 
1.6 million after 100 years of industry. Size matters. So we have still something to do if it doesn't matter in the hearables domain, in the domain where people buy this because it's a gadget that they want and 600 million are willing to buy it every year. Why is it that the hearing aid needs to disappear and we're only able to sell it in 16 million? So if you drop calling it a hearing aid and call it a wearable, you can go as big as you want? I think, I think this is the opportunity of the industries because we have two distinct industries. We have a hearing aid industry, which is a little bit hesitant to look outside of the uh, conventional framework. And we have these upcoming technologies, the, the, the hearables coming from a different consumer market that don't, I mean, they don't make hearing aids. They don't have the knowledge, capability of doing what the hearing aid companies do. But these two different technologies somehow needs to merge, needs to meet in a technology that served both parties. Because then we are looking into a, I mean, significantly different market size and we can help so much more people globally. So what are you uh, looking into in your respective uh, fields to ensure that everybody gets the help that they need and companies deliver products that match these needs? Um, an important aspect that I'm looking into at the moment is the personalization of the device because we have thousands of settings in the device that we can adjust to the individual um, user, to the individual hearing loss. And an individual hearing loss is important to consider. Um, there is this thing called the audiogram. I think we need to mention that as well. That's what's usually you have taken at your ENT, your, your ear doctor, uh, and that characterizes something about your hearing loss, namely how soft sounds you can hear. But there's also, there's much more than that. So every hearing loss is really special. And because of that, it's important to tailor the device uh, to that particular hearing loss for all kinds of situations that, that you are in. So that means we have lots of um, settings we can, we can manipulate and we want to personalize these as well as possible to the individual. So that's one particular work area that's, that's interesting at the moment. And then, of course, like I said before, tailoring the noise reduction, making sure you actually perform the best you can throughout the, the entire day. The hearing, the hearing device should make sure that that happens. Um, personally, I have spent a bit of time over the last few years to try to talk to, in particular, American audiologists to embrace some of the new technologies. In my mind, there is no doubt at all that what is important is really to have more people enter into the shops at an earlier point in time. If you are a hearing aid audiologist, dispenser, and only selling and servicing hearing aids, you will have customers 70 years old and above. But if you do something which is interesting to a larger proportion of the population, you may create traffic in your shop that is interesting for your business. So I've tried uh, over the last few years to have some of these audiologists understand that uh, not only the OTC, but also some of the hearables, the hearing devices that are not hearing aids, 
but are what we used to call PSAPs, which are just uh, devices that amplify sound and do a little bit on top of that. If they open their shops for some of these technologies, they may also create some traffic for younger people coming in, getting used to the service, to the devices, and when they need a hearing aid, they would already have found their audiologist, their service provider. So these audiologists are scared that these new technologies are going to take away their business. I say on the contrary. I think these new technologies are going to open the doors to the audiologists and dispensers at a far earlier point in time in the life and in, on the journey of these people in need of some hearing help because they are likely to purchase these gadgets um, as part of a movement we see just now, um, uh, the self-managed healthcare, taking a responsibility of your own health, including hearing health. People want that, and they've spent fortunes in, in smartwatches and gadgets telling you uh, whether or not you slept well tonight, whether or not you have <laughs> walked enough today, whether or not you're lying or standing, whether or not a lot of numbers, even your blood sugar or blood pressure and all the numbers you don't need. <laughs> People want that. People spend a fortune on that. If this is available from the audiologist shops as an option rather than a threat, then I think things are going to change. So this kind of digital assistance, or is that something that you see at, uh, at SenseLab as well? So, and I mean, it, it's a form of, of AI, right? And uh, you can't open a, a paper or, or watch the news these days without AI popping up on every single page. Is that a feature or an aspect that you work with? It is, you can say, it as a side effect of the 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 work that we do for for the for the clients. But the uh, you can say we see it in the in the request for having these many different types of environments. So AI works if it's exposed, you know, and built and trained on lots of variation of something that could happen in real life. So the more you can simulate, the more you can test, the more good quality data you can collect to train your AI models, the better outcome uh, of that uh, uh, technology, you can say. So I think from our side, uh, it has been important to make sure that we can expose different technologies, uh, hearing aids, hearables, all sorts of products that has some kind of noise reduction technologies that needs to be tuned, that we can expose them to many different types of situations because there are many different use cases. And and all of that is also part of, in the in the advanced hearing aids, there are these uh, levels of classifiers. They are kind of uh, triggering on some features. They are analyzing the sounds and are suggesting some kind of parameter settings that should be beneficial for the user. So all of these uh, ways of being able to expose and test whether the technology works as intended, that's the type of work that, that we do and can, can uh, bring and, and provide uh, services and help uh, to, to bring some data, bring some uh, evaluations on. So I think, uh, I think that's a step uh, and AI is, uh, is really coming and is here already. But it's also uh, trained. It needs to be trained on something. And uh, I see our uh, role in that is that we are uh, to collect good data so that these technologies are made like they should work as intended. Yeah. 
So testing that products work as intended, uh, any other pieces of advice to hearing aid companies out there? Well, I would say we we are uh, we have gone come a long way. We've made the devices much better and uh, you know, we are getting closer to normal hearing. Like I said before, we're not there yet. But that also means we have smaller and smaller increments in in performance. So that means we have to come up with good test methods to try to test these small differences to actually document. And that's important, at least in the regulated part of this business, that you have to document that you have actually provided a benefit of some kind, whether it's higher speech intelligibility, but we're also looking into other domains now that are important. That's, uh, say, listening effort. How tired are you becoming through the entire day? And how can we make sure that the device helps reduce your listening effort such that you are no longer so tired at the end of the day? Because what happens when you have the hearing loss and when you have problems in noise is the brain compensates for this and tries to make up for the bits of piece, uh, the bits of missing information that are there and, and try to um, reconstruct what was being said. I think we all know that, but that's what happens in, in the difficult situations. And we are trying to develop test methods that also look into these aspects of hearing that are perhaps just as important as what we usually think about speech intelligibility and noise and good sound quality and those aspects. So different new types of test methods. Also test methods that uh, look into the simulating the real life, as Søren was referring to. But also now, and that's through the smartphone, we can also test now in the field. We have this thing called ecological momentary assessment. Um, that's a long word. It basically just means that you are actually in your listening situation, you can respond through your smartphone. Well, how, how is the sound now? Is, am I getting any help from the device? Things like that. So we can actually now collect a lot of usage data from uh, users that are in the field and use that to improve our devices as well. And that's a, that's a completely new aspect, which means they are being tested in real life, but we're also getting much higher numbers of data than, than we were used to. And that's also um, a very strong thing to have. I, I, I tend to think uh, that we as an industry has missed an opportunity over many, many years addressing the public in this, uh, in this regard. Uh, as an industry, we have been communicating to our main customers, being the audiologists and dispensers. So we have spent quite a bit of effort creating the explanations, uh, let's just talk about, um, uh, and many more, to the audiologists and dispensers of this world. But as an industry, we have missed to communicate to our society the importance of getting hearing aids, the importance of having healthy hearing. And there have been a few attempts over the years, a few attempts. There have also been created a few communities within each of the hearing aid industry, uh, manufacturers. But the only attempt I remember across the industry failed like 10 or 15 years ago was a European-based attempt and all, only just started up. I think as an industry, we should have been much, much better, and it's not too late, to talk to the people of this world about why this is important and try to explain 
what we are doing with our hearing technology beyond the deep technological insights that nobody will understand. Try to explain why this makes a difference, why it is important. Just like, I mean, we don't tend to explain difficult technology to consumers. We don't understand how the iPhone works. We just know that it does, and we want one. Same thing with another, a lot of other technologies that people seek and desire. But the hearing aid technology was never, ever communicated as a desirable device for people of this world. And if you're a doctor or you're an audiologist or your spouse don't tell you to get a hearing aid, you probably won't. This is a big issue. The behavioral aspect. The behavioral aspect and the lack of um, interest, I would even go and say, from the industry to talk and to communicate this and to spend money and resources to make this a thing now that, I mean, researchers are so much are talking about uh, the danger of not treating your hearing loss in, in terms of the dementia, in terms of the social uh, isolation, in terms of all the health aspects that are closely associated with hearing loss. It's a thing out there. We talk about it. But the hearing aid industry still tends to talk to their dispensers, audiologists, customers, rather than to the end users. I'm thinking that, that there will be some kind of, uh, you could say, the new generations as well that has been kind of more used to interacting with technologies uh, to a level where they would maybe also demand that they would be in more control of the technology. I mean, we are talking talked about AI, which is the kind of uh, ideal Um, hearing aid would be that you are, you're not doing anything. The, the device will know what you want and will adjust to that. But you can say in this phase, in between, it, it comes into individualized programs. You can tune and, and set with your smartphone. And you can say probably new generations will be more used to having to interact and find their way and tune and be in control of the device. Isn't there also some uh, natural, you could say, level of hearing aids being, you could say, more accepted? I don't know. I would say age-wise, uh, Joel and I are getting there. Do you have hearing aids? Not yet, but I have a slight high-frequency hearing loss. But we're we're getting there. But still, and for we're, we were talking about apps for all manufacturers, the app is an important part of the package now. You could say. I don't want to tweak with my hearing aid all day long on the app. You know, I have plenty of other things to do. So perhaps there could be situations where I want to turn up the volume slightly or turn the beamform on or something, but I don't think I would like to spend a lot of time on that during the day. It should just work. <laughs> yeah, it should, it should do as you work. want to. Yeah. 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 So final question. Um, why did you get into this field? Why hearing? <laughs> why sound? Oh, that's a really good question. That's a good one. So I grew up in a family of musicians. I was from childhood always not only interested but in love with music. And uh, I played the clarinet from I was a big boy. And I was always just interested in sound and music. So when I uh, chose my profession and uh, decided to go engineering, I had a feeling that I... I wanted to do some in something in the man-machine interface domain. I mean, it's so many years back that we didn't have the fancy 
technologies as we have uh, today. But I knew that my father was a family doctor. So either I would go to medicine or I would do engineering because I was interested in technology. And, and somehow it was just the easy choice. Uh, I did uh, medical engineering, biomedical engineering, and I did a specialty, my master thesis in audiology and, uh, and hearing aids. And I mean, this is like, what is it, 35, 40 years mm -hmm. back, and I'm still here. <laughs> what about you, Søren? How did you get started with sound and hearing? I think it was uh, sort of the same music, uh, playing music, and uh, and then uh, went to to the Technical University of Denmark, t starting there. But uh, uh, also had uh, a father working in the hearing aid industry at some point of his career. <laughs> so I'm sure I was uh, influenced by that as well. Mm -hmm. But I really think that it was inspiring to 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 have something, some. Uh, technology that I could relate to. I could understand it. I could, uh, you could say, I could look at the results and could relate and, and see uh, whether it made sense or not. Uh, so somehow it, uh, it felt uh, very motivating to go into that, uh, that domain. Mm. And Lars? For me, it started with technology, I would say. I, my father was a machinist and uh, working at a power plant and there were lots of interesting gadgets there and my attention fell on electricity and electronics. So I started building amplifiers in the basement of our house, you know, building loudspeakers and all of that. So I, my first interest was really the pure technology, and I thought I was going to work with hi-fi or something like that. But then at the technical university, there was this course on acoustic communication, which we also refer to as psychoacoustics, and that really caught my attention. So that's learning about the perception of sound in general. And I thought that was a really interesting multidisciplinary thing. And then I realized, well, combined with learning about digital signal processing, which was also coming at the time, that's a huge potential to combine these two things and making better hearing aid devices. And funny enough, the hearing aid um, industry is a very Danish thing. Um, we cover the, the three Danish manufacturers. They produce around 50%, half of the market, world market in hearing aids. So the, this was this was a perfect match for me to to go into this uh, business area. Thank you. I think we've <laughs> uh, we've covered all the bases. Then any final words or anything that you'd like to include? Well, sometimes I think about the stigma thing. You know, we are we are ourselves getting to that area to that to that age, and uh, something like glasses, I think, is a very nice equivalent. I have many friends my age. So the early 60s, and they refuse to wear glasses, even though it's a very practical thing. So, so even there, you know, there's a barrier that we need to work on. I just have a look at the American president, right? How can a man who's <laughs> 80 not wear glasses when he's holding a speech? No, so. you're right. I didn't think about that. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much for joining us here at Force Technology this morning. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Pleasure. From ear trumpets to AI, you've been listening to a Force Technology podcast. Go to forcetechnology.com or wherever you get your podcasts for more sessions on sound and how it affects us.